Okay, signs of the times, Mark 13. I want you to go to Mark 13. Stand with me for the reading of the word. And um, the title of the message is, Now Learn the Parable of the Fig Tree. So this is Jesus ending, right, the Olivet Discourse. And he makes this important final statement, and it's really relative to where we are right now. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. Mark 13, 28 through 31. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branches was already becoming tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So, Heavenly Father, open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, to something. You know, Lord God, when you give us your word, and it is just so relevant to the moment, to the time of history that we're in, how encouraging, how inspiring, Lord God, it brings hope, it brings faith. Lord God, it brings power into our lives. And I pray, Lord God, this, this little parable here, Lord God, has brought tremendous power into my life and excitement and expectation and hope in these last years that I've walked with you. And I want to pray, Lord God, the same for all here. Impress it upon their hearts and minds. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So Mark 13, you have, uh, again, it's the sermon that he's doing on the Mount of Olives, okay? This is not the Sermon on the Mount. This, this is called the Olivet Discourse. It's all about prophecy. Everything we've been covering, and I'm going to wrap it up, everything we've been covering about prophecy for the last two months for Mark 13, I'm going to wrap up. Today we're going to get some Christmas messages next, uh, for the next few weeks. So just to, to set up and to understand, this is being given on the Wednesday, okay, before Jesus is crucified, which is Friday. Okay, he enters into Jerusalem. I know, I know the triumphal entry, people yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We call it Palm Sunday. You get into the, the actual history, it was more like Palm Monday. So he enters into Jerusalem. Then the next morning, okay, Tuesday, as he's going back to the temple, there's a fig tree and he curses it. Because it's fruitless. It's got no fruit. Now, I'm going to read that to you. If you remember, we covered this, okay, a few months ago, Mark 11, 12 to 14. Now, the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So he, he curses the fruit tree because it's fruitless. Then he goes to the temple. And he basically starts overturning, okay, the tables of the, ta of the um, essentially there, the, it's the tax, okay, the, the coin tax tables. And he makes a court of whips, and he begins to drive everybody out of the temple who was selling the sacrificial lambs, okay, and the sacrificial animals. So he cleanses the temple. Why does he cleanse the temple? Because the temple has become a place of fruitless religion. It's a con. It's a sham. It's a fake. It's fruitless. It's dead. 
It, it is basically being run by the Sadducees and they're manipulating people and deceiving people and essentially conning people. And the temple was meant to be a house of prayer and they basically have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, the next morning, okay? The next morning is Wednesday. As they're passing the fig tree that he cursed, they see that it's withered and dead. Again, Mark chapter 13, 20 and 21. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Right? It's fruitless. It's dead. Peter's amazed when he sees it because Jesus just you know, cursed it 24 hours before. And now it's totally dead. It's totally withered. On Wednesday in the morning, Jesus is questioned, right, by the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and Herodians. Now he's questioned. Remember they ask him these questions about what is the greatest commandment? Well, there was a woman who was married to seven different brothers, right? Which one is she going to be married to in, in heaven? Uh, they asked him, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? So what you have is these are the fruitless religious leaders. They're fruitless. Questioning Jesus, the Messiah. Then he said to them in his teaching, this is now his followers, beware of the scribes. Now the scribes would include Pharisees who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places in the feast. Now watch this. Who devour widows' houses. Remember that message? Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. These are the fruitless religious leaders who devour widows' houses. How do they do that? They extort from poor widows. The widows that the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the New Testament said, we are to look after, we are to take care of them. They manipulate them, they con them, they literally swindle them away from everything they own, their very homes. Now, he says that, and then who comes in next? Remember? The widow. And she comes in and she gives her last pennies, right, her might. Now we look at that and say, wasn't that wonderful? She gave everything. She gave, she gave everything she had to this deceptive, manipulative religious system. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't honoring her for her giving her last two mites. He was pointing out that she is one of those widows who were conned. She gave her last pennies to go home and likely starve and die. There's nothing that he's saying about this woman. Oh, isn't it, isn't it wonderful? She's deceived. She's manipulated. She, her belief was, hey, I'm going to give my last pennies because they taught that if she did that, God was going to pour down blessings from heaven and meet all of her needs. Remind you of uh, TV preachers today? Think, think about it. So then, they're leaving the temple... And he says, right, 
one of them says, look at these beautiful stones. Look at this incredible building. And Jesus says, there will not be left a stone upon another. The temple, again, this place that was to be a house of worship, a house of prayer, is so fruitless and so dead, Jesus is saying it is going to be destroyed. Move forward, 40 years, 70 AD, Titus and the Roman legions. They invade Jerusalem, they destroy the city, they destroy the temple, they destroy the very fruitless religious system, and basically it's the end of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Not one stone was left upon another, right? We've covered that, we've been there, we've walked amongst the, uh, the ruins of, uh, of Jerusalem and the, the old you know, temple. Then Jesus, he is asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And on that Wednesday afternoon into the evening, he gives what is called the Olivet Discourse. And he says to them, in the last days... Right? There are going to be birth pains. And there are going to be deception, mass deception, and wars, and rumors of wars, and famines. And there is going to be disease, and pestilence, and civil unrest. And there is going to be tremendous lawlessness, and persecution of Christians, and a great apostasy, a turning away from the Christian faith. I just want to say this to you, I talk to people from all over the country, sometimes from people in other parts of the world, on a daily basis during the week, and I'll tell you this, you talk to people, and as I'm talking to people these last years, people whose lives have been affected by tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, droughts, forest fires, volcanoes, Sam and Carmen went to Hawaii. <laughs> you know what's going on in Hawaii right now? The volcano, the volcano is erupting. I don't know if they're going to be seeing any of the sun in, uh, in, in Hawaii. But just to talk to people, just, I mean, wars, diseases. I mean, who hasn't been touched by this stuff? It's the time we live in. So Jesus gives this, again, this, this end times message. Now, he ends it by saying, now learn the parable from the fig tree. This is the conclusion of the Olivet Discourse. He cursed the fig tree, right, the day before. The fig tree is withered on that Wednesday morning. Let me just ask you, who's the fig tree? Who's the fig tree? Who? It's not us. It's, it's religious Israel. It's this false religious system. Not all Jews. All of his followers were Jews. He was a Jew. I don't know if you've ever heard my poem that roses are reddish and violets are bluish. I hope you know that Jesus was Jewish. Because if you listen to most Christians today, they, I don't know, the Italian Christians think he was an Italian, the Irish Christians think he was Irish, and the Swedish Christians think that he was Swedish. He was Jewish. He wasn't, this wasn't a condemnation on all Jews. This was the, the fruitless religious system that is essentially the, the, the fig tree it couldn't save right? It, it couldn't redeem it couldn't bring people into a relationship with God, all it did was it was just a burden on people a burden so when you go through the Old Testament you see again 
Israel is identified frequently as the fruitless fig tree. Watch. Hosea 9.10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. Talking about the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Israel is the fig tree. But they went to Baal Peor. They went and worshipped idols. And separated themselves that, that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. Another passage from Jeremiah 8.13, I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor no figs on the fig tree. Israel is the fig tree. Unfaithful Israel is the fig tree. And the leaves shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. See, here is, here is the depth of the problem. In Hosea 6.6, he says, I want to show love. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. I want to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Notice that, that God, what is he saying there? I want a relationship with you, not your religion. I want a relationship with you, not rituals, dead rituals. I, I want to have a relate. I want to come into your life. I want to love you, and I want you to know me. That's the Christian life. The Christian life, okay, and the life, the relationship in the Old Testament was to know God and to be known by God. So you could be here today, and this this is true. I think this is true of Christian people or people in churches all over the world today. They're in church, going through the ritual, right? Sit, stand, clap your hands. You know sing your songs, listen to this, but they don't have a relationship with God. They're just going through the motions. And we could be really critical of the Jewish people, right? We could be critical of the higher church people, the Catholics and the Episcopalians, right? It's just sit, stand, right? They go through all their gymnastics. But I'll tell you something. As I began to preach in churches like this, as I began to preach in evangelical churches and I began to preach in charismatic and Pentecostal churches, I saw the same thing. People just going through the motions. They were just doing different religious gymnastics, but they didn't have a relationship with God. It's fruitless, legalistic, dead religion. That is Israel. Religious Israel in Jesus' day. And so the fig tree was cursed. It withered and it died. And the religious system died. And the nation was dispersed. And it's the end of the Pharisees. You know, no more Pharisees after 70 AD. No more Sadducees after 70 AD. No more temple after 70 AD. No more sacrifices and God disperses the Jewish people to the four corners of the earth for 1,870 years. So watch. Now learn this parable of the fig tree. Who's the fig tree? Israel, right? And this is relevant. Which basically, national Israel... The temple is destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed, the Jewish people are dispersed, right? The diaspora all over the world. No nation, no temple, no religious system. Dispersed. Now watch what he says. 
So you also, right? Look, now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its, branches, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. What is he, what is he saying there? For 1,870 years, the fig tree was dead. He says, when, when you start to see, right, the, the branches getting tender, they start to bring forth leaves. What's the next thing to come? Fruit. He's saying, fruit is coming. Fruit is coming. Now watch. For 1,870 years, there's no nation. You want to get excited? I don't know about you, but this is one of the most exciting things that I've, uh, I've come across that really, again, is relative to the time we live in. Okay, the rebirth of, of, the Israel, of Israel as a nation. May 14th, 1948, destroyed 70 AD, right? Temple destroyed, religious system destroyed, and the Jews dispersed throughout the world to the four corners. May 14th, 1948. By the way, the, the religious so-called Christian scholars said, you know what? God's done with Israel. He's done with the Jews. It's over. That's not what the Bible teaches. It became a major, major influence of anti-Semitism by so-called Christian people. The Word of God said, and I'm just going to give you just going to give you one passage here, Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Right? The, the birth and rebirth of Israel on May 14, 1948. Never in recorded history has there been a nation that basically was wiped out and, and after almost 2,000 years is suddenly reborn. Now, if you understand Jesus' words, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. What he promised came true. The rebirth of Israel. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Second, the regaining, uh, the, the regaining of biblical Jerusalem, June 7, 1967. For 1,889 years, right, Jerusalem was just trodden down by the Gentiles. Again, the Jews were dispersed throughout the world. They were exiled. Zechariah chapter 8, 7 through 8 predicted, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west, and I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. And what happened, right? June 7, 1967, after the Six-Day War, the Jewish people regained biblical Jerusalem, again, after almost 2,000 years, <laughs> When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. It's near. The regathering of the Jewish people in Israel. 
in Jeremiah chapter 31, 7 through 10. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into a land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. I want you to notice, brought back from the sword. And what do we immediately think of, right? The Holocaust. Six and a half million Jews, right, slaughtered, murdered, killed during the Holocaust. But let me just say this to you. The Jewish people, after 70 AD, persecuted by the Romans, persecuted by pagans, persecuted by Islam, persecuted by the church, the Inquisition, persecuted by Nazis, persecuted by communists, and in 1948, 657,000 Jews are living in Israel, just as predicted. Today there are 7 million. Look at what um, Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, 4 through 6. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring, notice this, from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. You go to Israel. You know what you meet? You meet Jews from Australia, from China, from Vietnam, from South America, from America, from Africa. You meet Jews from Europe. You meet Jews from everywhere, and you pick up their accents. But they were dispersed throughout the world, north, south, east, west, and they've come back. The great, and they're coming back. They're still coming back. They're, they're fleeing the Ukraine. They're fleeing Russia. They're coming from the United States. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. A fourth, the restoring of the Hebrew language after 1,800 years. When Titus and the Roman legions destroyed Israel destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, 70 AD. Uh, you had, again, the diaspora of the Jews dispersed throughout the world. It killed killed 1.1 million Jews were killed, and 98,000 of them were taken into uh, slavery, and then the rest were dispersed throughout the world. In, I don't know if some of you know a little bit about, about history, Jewish history. 132 to 136, you had the Adbar Kokobar. It was called the purging. The Romans tried to wipe out Judaism. They killed Jews, they destroyed the synagogues, and they burned all the sacred scrolls. So the people were absorbed into different cultures, and they lost their language. So when they went to Germany, the language, well, you know, think of the language, it was a combination of Hebrew and German. Do you know what that language is called? Yiddish. Yeah, by the way, it happened in Italy, and it happened in Spain, too. You had a, kind of this, this high, but they, they no longer spoke Hebrew. So the, the Hebrew language died. The word of God in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9, King James Version. For then I, will I turn to the people a, a, a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. What happens? The language, when they returned to Israel in 1948, suddenly the language was revived. That's never happened before. And you, you get into linguistics, you get into studying language. It never has happened. So for, for again, almost 2,000 years, suddenly the language is restored. And the Jewish people, you go to Israel, what do they speak? They speak Hebrew. <laughs> They're all speaking Hebrew. Hebrew. 
And, uh, and they speak English too. And, uh, but they speak Hebrew. Isaiah chapter 19, 18. Look at this passage. This is interesting. I wanted to throw this in there. This is like an extra snack of manna. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan. What is the language of Canaan? It's Hebrew. Yeah. In the, t- in the time of Isaiah, it's Hebrew. They will speak the language of, uh, in Cana and swear by the Lord of hosts, one will be called the city of destruction. You know what this, again, that's the land of Egypt during the millennial kingdom. They're all speaking Hebrew. You know, I believe we're going to be speaking in the Hebrew, uh, in, in, the, in the kingdom. We're going to be speaking in the millennial kingdom. What we're going to be speaking in, I believe we're going to be speaking Hebrew. We're all going to be, we're all going to be speaking, you know what's beautiful about uh, Hebrew, right, Israel, smack in the middle of the world. Jerusalem, smack in the middle of the world. And when you, when you go west, right, we read from left to right. When you go to the east, they read from right to left, and then it converges in Hebrew, right, right in Jerusalem. Kind of a cool thing. Again, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. I want to give you, I want to give you one more, and then just a little insight into something that hasn't happened yet. The renewal of the land. And um, Mark Twain, you ever Mark Twain? In uh, 1867, uh, Mark Twain went to the Holy Land. And he wrote this like scathing essay on what a dead, you know, lifeless, fruitless place. It, it was just, just it's sand, it's rocks, it's just dead. He said this, a desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. I would not desire to live here. It is the hopeless, dreary, heartbroken land. Well, what is it? It was a desert. Hey, folks, if you look here, this is what it is today. And by the way, this is a picture, and I, and I always point this out. When we drive from the Galilee down to Jerusalem, okay, it's actually up to Jerusalem, but we're driving south, I'll say to people, look on the left at Jordan, right? You can, look, you, can look at, you can look at Lebanon, you can look at Syria, you look at Jordan. It's all desert. It's just, it's just desert. And you look basically to the right, and literally we're, we're looking this way at, at Jordan. We're looking uh, this way. We can look at Syria. We can look at Lebanon. But if you look this way, it's all green, it's all, it's all fields of fruit, fields of vegetables, forests. It's all green. The nation has become green. Mark Twain, right? You're a hundred years too early to see it. Look at what the scripture says. Isaiah chapter 26. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill the world with fruit. They, they are one of the number one producers of fruit that is essentially, it's transported to Europe. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. When its branches has already become tender, and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. There's one missing piece. By the way, if you want, you go, I think it was a summer, two summers ago, I preached uh, 25 signs of the end, and I covered Israel. Instead of giving you just the five signs I gave, I think I gave about 20 of them. But for time's sake, on a Sunday morning, 
the last piece to Israel's puzzle. Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel 37 predicts that there will be this valley of dry, dead bones. And he says to them, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy, son of man, prophesy over these bones and prophesy that they will come to life. And he prophesies over them and then he sees these these dead bones. Suddenly, they're like skeletons stand up and there's ligaments and there's tendons appear and muscles appear and, and suddenly flesh appears on them. And they become a mighty nation. And they become a, 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 a nation of warriors. Go to Israel. They're all warriors. The women are warriors. You see these young girls, right, walking around with their, with their rifles. You, you go out into, you know, the, into the, the, the more desolate areas. You see women with a baby. She's got her Uzi underneath her. They're all trained. They're all warriors. You want, you want to look, look at the IDF. You know, the, the, you look at the Israel Defense Forces. That's something that we, we study. We bring a lot of Krav Maga into our martial arts training. That's where it came from, from the IDF. They're all, they're all warriors. They became, they became this incredible nation who was surrounded, folks, not all, not all the Arabs, not all the Muslims, but I tell you, there's millions of them who would like to do nothing more than to drive the Jewish people right into the Mediterranean Sea and drown them all and kill them all. So there's this, this prophecy that predicts that Israel, that's, Israel become a nation. But it predicts something else. And I think we're, we're just seeing the beginning. Right, Renee? I don't see Rebecca here today. We're seeing the beginning. I will put my spirit in you. And you shall live and I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. This is talking now about a spiritual rebirth. Jewish people coming to recognize that Yeshua is their Messiah. Look at Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for the firstborn. The rebirth. Right? We, see, we see this now, right? We see, we see a little bit of this. We have Jewish believers here today. You know, David Rosenberg, Rabbi David Rosenberg, who's come here and he's preached. David is, is an Orthodox Jew who believes Jesus is Yeshua, Yeshua is Messiah. Jonathan Kahn, right, not far from here in Wayne, right, a, a Jew. John and I got saved just about the same time. A Jewish believer who, who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's, he's got a, a tremendous national audience. Jews for Jesus. But we see, we see this, this incredible move. This is, this is unique. When I went to Israel the last time, they have messianic synagogues in Tel Aviv. They have messianic synagogues in Haffa, in Tiberias in Jerusalem, and these are Jewish people, Jewish people, all Jewish people, not too many Gentiles, gathering together and worshiping Yeshua as their Messiah. This is something, this is something that, that hasn't happened in thousands of years, and it's, I think, just the beginning. So, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. That is the parable of the fig tree. 
Look at what the Lord says. He says, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. When you see, again, the branches becoming tender, when you see the leaves begin to appear, this generation, who's he talking about? Wasn't talking about the generation he was talking to at that time. He's talking about the generation that sees these things. Folks, that's us. Man, if this don't excite you, heck, I don't know if there's anything that will ever excite you. I mean, really. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's got to excite you. The rebirth of Israel as a nation. The branches are tender and the leaves are showing that summer is near. The regathering of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, the regaining of Jerusalem. The branches are tender and its leaves are showing that summer is near. The regathering of the Jewish people. The branches are tender and the leaves are showing that summer is near. The restoring of the Hebrew language. The branches are tender and the leaves are showing that summer is near. The renewal of the land. The branches are tender and its leaves are showing that summer is near. And coming soon. A vast spiritual revival of Jewish people all over the world in Israel coming to recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah. The branches are tender and the leaves are showing that summer is near. We're right in that time. You know, the people in the Christmas story, and you look at the whole Christmas story, they were waiting for Messiah. Remember, remember you, you look at, you know, John's parents and Mary and Joseph. You know, a lot, a lot of them knew. Remember Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27, right? At that period of years, those 430, 483 years, they knew it was around the time. Messiah, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Well, we're in a time now where we're looking and saying, Messiah is coming again. <laughs> Right? We say we say Maranatha. He's he's coming. This is this this is the time that he talked about. Wait, well, well, how can we know? Look at Jerusalem. Look at Israel. Look at the regathering. Look at the Hebrew people speaking the Hebrew language. Right? Look at what has happened. This this miracle that hadn't happened for right almost two thousand years, and it's happened in our time. So that excites me. You say. What is the greatest miracle that you've ever seen, Pastor Frank? Israel. <laughs> Israel. That's the, great, the, the greatest miracle. Everything I just shared with you this morning, that is the greatest miracle that I have seen in, in, in our day and our time. And if you lived 100 years ago, you might be sitting there in a church and they would be telling you, oh no, the church is spiritual Israel. God is done with the Jews. There's never going to be a rebirth of Israel. Jerusalem, that's what, they were, that's what they were telling, with the exception of a few teachers who were saying, oh no, look at what the word of God says. So we look back, but we are looking forward. You got some really great things. You know, this world can be discouraging. It could be depressing. It could be so distracting. Folks, 
This is a word of encouragement. I see some people, and I went through this, this series, and I'm talking about wars and rumors and people getting discouraged. Folks, look at this. This should be encouraging. We are in the last days. Jesus is coming soon. We should be excited. We should be pumped up. Yeah, we should be pumped up about that, right? So let me ask the worship team to come up. We're going to do communion, and I'm going to tie communion into the conclusion of the message today. So if the worship team comes up. You got your cup, you got your bread. Wrestle that bread out of that little gadget. <laughs> so I'm gonna I wanna read this to you. So first Corinthians eleven, twenty three through thirty uh, twenty six Paul says here, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says, For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup... You proclaim the Lord's death. I want you to just to stop saying because he wasn't. I, what we do here is nice, but every time you break bread, every time you take the cup, he's saying, "Remember what I did for you." Think about that. It, you know, this this was a meal. It wasn't wasn't it wasn't a ritual like like what, what, what we, it was a meal. So every time. You break the bread and take the cup, right? You proclaim the Lord's death. Now watch, till he comes. Right? What are you doing? You're looking back and remembering that he hung on that cross six hours, one Friday for you, that he took the nails into his hands and feet that were meant for you. He took your pain and your suffering, your sin upon himself. You remember that. You're thankful. And remember that he, he conquered it, right? They put him in the grave, but he didn't decay. And he was raised from the dead. Remember that. Not just once a month at Living Word, right, on a given Sunday. But then he says, till he comes. So yeah, we're looking back, but we're looking forward to his coming. Because it could be any moment. It could be any day. He's coming back. So we, we look back, but we look forward and we say, Maranatha, the Lord cometh, the cometh soon. Amen? So the Lord took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take this all of you and eat this for this is my body. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And in remembrance of your body, Lord, that you gave for us and you hung on the cross, Lord God, six hours that Friday. You took our suffering, you took our sin, you took the penalty, Lord God, of our sin upon yourself. You took our hell upon yourself so that we would never have to suffer that hell. We would never have to suffer separation, Lord, from you forever and ever. What a great gift. Let us all partake in remembrance of our Lord.
And then the Lord, he took the cup, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this, all of you, and drink this, for this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. His blood was his life. And he gave us his life. And right now today, if you open your heart, he will pour his life or more of his life into you. So let us all partake of the Lord's blood, of the Lord's life. Amen. We're going to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. (laughs) O come, O come, right? It's what the people were longing for 2,000 years ago. It's what we long for today. Come, Emmanuel. We open the altars if you'd like to come forward for prayer. Have a nice time of worship. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and stand and praise the Lord. You can do that. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Spirit by thine advent here. 
death and death's dark shadows put to fly. Let us rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to Come desire of nations. Oh, come desire of nations. Oh, peoples in one heart and mind. Hidden beside our God and our King. Father, go with us all this day. And Lord God, bless us these next days as we take time to reflect upon, Lord God, you leaving your throne in heaven for earth for a manger. Your humility, your condescending, Lord God, grace and love. Lord God, you who are rich became poor. Lord, you who are eternal, Lord, became limited. And we just humble our hearts as we reflect upon that this morning and this week and these days. Go with us all in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all.